Thank you for being here today and for allowing me to share some thoughts with you and glorify God from his word. So my job here today was uh, to set the table for St. Mark. Uh, This message is about creating the background and kind of the sense of uh, where this gospel came from. We wanted to, well, I decided to share a bit about Mark's life with you. Because what Mark did, he, I'm quite sure, he did only because the Lord asked him to. Because he did a lot of difficult things. And they're not things we would naturally take on ourselves to do. But Mark, responding to the Holy Spirit, had a pretty amazing life. If you ever get to the museum in Pushkin, Russia, which is not real likely at this point, maybe not for a while, uh, there is a portrait of St. Mark uh, that was painted by Franz, uh, Franz Halls, I think. Around 1625. Does it really matter? No, no, it's beautiful art. It's fantastic. But I'm just wanting you to know that this is just an idea. It was his imagination about what Mark looked like. Mark probably didn't look like he was Germanic or Nordic uh, like this guy. So we'll just set him aside for now. And uh, we'll use some of our own imagination to start this morning. All right, so set your mind as if you are a normal, everyday Egyptian living in one of the world's leading cities in the first century. The city was most famous for its spectacular library, a library bigger than any other in the world. This is Alexandria. And if you're looking at that map, you could look at the only dot there that's on the Mediterranean. Alexandria was a focal point for learning uh, because they had documents in their library from all over the world and dating back as far as, as, uh, well, we don't know. I'd like to know. I wish the library was still there, but... The city was burned and the library with it. But we're standing at the edge of a street after witnessing the execution of a cult leader. About 30 years ago, a miracle worker in Israel named Jesus of Nazareth had claimed to be the Son of God and had gotten himself killed. We just witnessed one of the followers of Jesus suffer the same fate. People around us told us that this man was also a Jew and that he had established the cult of the way in our city. And this was a problem. 
Everyone knew that Alexandria was devoted to the worship of the god Serapis since the time of Ptolemy, the first successor in Egypt to Alexander the Great. Serapis had been worshipped now for more than 300 years. The unfortunate coincidence today was that the cult was celebrating what they called Resurrection Sunday. On the same day, the city celebrated the birthday of Serapis, who is the synthesized union of ancient Egyptian gods Osiris and Apis. And for good measure, they threw in a number of other gods, including the ancient Greek god Zeus. They were all personified by Serapis. Anyway, this Christian troublemaker named Mark was arrested, bound, and then dragged through the rough stone streets of the city until he was dead. It was a horrible sight and a brutal way to die. But the Christians are being taught a lesson. Don't mess with the state God. And don't speak about someone else being the one true God. It made us remember that long ago, ancient history of our country, another Jew named Moses spoke against our gods, and our resistance to that cost the lives of every firstborn in the land. To our city leaders now, it's the Jews' turn to suffer the consequences of resisting our God. Oddly enough, It isn't only Jews who are claiming that this Jesus was born king of a spiritual kingdom and God most high. Most of the church members are what the Jews call Gentiles, mostly Egyptians and Greeks and Romans. The fusion of the gods of our two cultures won't tolerate a rival claim of truth, much less the claim of an exclusive path to eternal life. Let's stop imagining now and let's pray. Father, thank you that we are able to gather together here. And you've given us a safe place, those of us that have been around a long time. We haven't been harassed for our faith. It hasn't been hard to claim the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings of safety and peace. But, Lord, more important is the blessing of being found faithful to you. And we ask, Lord, that as we go through this message today, uh, you'll be glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name. As with all accounts of what happened to the apostles and many of the church fathers, the account of St. Mark and his work in Egypt is recognized as, sadly, unverifiable Christian tradition. But to this day, the Coptic Christian Church of the Middle East, Egypt in particular, this is how they, they say, this is how our branch of the church began. It involves a first century leather worker and his family. Mark, or Marcus to the Roman world, arrived in Alexandria after having written an account 
of the life and ministry of Jesus. Christian tradition and biblical scholars believe that he was writing on behalf of the apostle Peter. Not that Peter was gone. Peter was telling Mark what to write because he remembered Peter was there. The story goes that by the time Mark arrived in the city, a strap on his sandal had broken. And he was glad to happen upon a cobbler's stall. The cobbler agreed to make the needed repair. And while he worked, Mark talked. He told about being a follower of Jesus and about Jesus' life and death and his resurrection. The cobbler believed and repented of his sins and became a follower of the way. Then, taking Marcus to his family, he repeated the story, and they believed too. Why did they believe so quickly? Their whole lives they'd been serving a different God. It's because our storytelling and our apologetics, they don't bring people to the Lord. They can help open the heart, but it is the Lord himself who draws each one to himself. The Holy Spirit was there, and the church was born in Alexandria. If the account is accurate, then God had used an annoying circumstance of life, just a broken sandal, to bring the message of the gospel to a street cobbler in Alexandria. From that, God orchestrated meeting, a church was planted, and to this day, the advance of the kingdom on earth is full of missionary church planter stories with very improbable and unplanned beginnings. God is in both the big events and the little details that lead up to them. The church grew because others in the city believed too. That should remind us of the words of Romans chapter 10. Verse 12 through 15, let me read that quickly here. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yeah, that said everyone. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Can you tell I'm on the missions team? The new Egyptian Christians began meeting together and they learned to care for one another as they boldly spoke the truth of the gospel to their idol-worshiping neighbors. They didn't hide. They didn't keep it quiet. They didn't say, oh, that's okay for you. They had been redeemed. They were experiencing new life in Christ and they talked about it. And because they did, God used it and the church grew. We can assume that because they had become like salt and light, God continued to add to their number. As for Mark, 
he moved on to other places as the Lord led him. But several years later, the Lord led him back to the city to start another big evangelistic push, to hold meetings in the Colosseum. No, apparently, besides whatever else Mark had to say to the church there, the Lord was going to allow him to be martyred, that he would shed his blood for the sake of advancing the church. He wasn't the first one, but there have been so many believers since who have been faithful right up to the end. The Gospel of Mark isn't about Mark, of course. It was the account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And it seems to emphasize the humanity of Jesus, even in the midst of prolific miracles. Another church tradition is that Mark was most likely the nephew of Barnabas. Remember him? Mark was maybe the young man who was disappointed, who had disappointed the Apostle Paul by running away from a first missionary journey. Hmm. He ran away. Things got tough, things looked dangerous, and he was out of here. See ya. And that could have been the end. And God would have used others. But it wasn't the end. The Acts account of his failure and later restoration may well be there to encourage all believers to get back up when they've tripped up so that they can keep serving the Lord. Now, since Scripture is full of the accounts of God's people's failures and restorations, I'd like to give you two more examples that are a little closer to home. Turns out both of these people have beautiful feet. Does anyone here remember the ministry of Henry Behrens in this pulpit? There's a few hands. By definition, humans are not perfect representations of God. And that would, of course, include Pastor Behrens and his wife, Helen, and their six kids. Pastor Behrens was the guy who was up in this pulpit every Sunday of my entire youth. And I can remember phrases he used to use. Even so, Pastor Henry Behrens was maybe or one of the most godly men I ever knew. He was a wonderful example to his family and to the church. And to my knowledge, he didn't experience failure. But that didn't guarantee a faultless path for his children. 
I asked child number four, Beth, for permission to share a couple of stories of her family for your benefit today. Maybe because she's my beloved sister-in-law, she said yes. Actually, she was eager to put the grace of God on display. And so I'll tell a little of uh, firstborn Tim's story. As firstborn, you know, that comes with a certain amount of status in the family. And Tim's status uh, was enhanced by his height. Tim is still alive. He's nearing 80 years old, and he's six feet, at least eight inches tall. He's a big guy. And when he walks in the room, people notice him. And he was also blessed with this voice that you know, we call a radio voice. A little low and really resonant. And sure enough, Tim spent a lot of years in Christian radio. But when he was still here, and for those that maybe a decade afterwards, Tim went off the rails. They sent Tim to Bob Jones University. Not a happy place for a guy who doesn't like rules. And they asked him to leave. So he left. And he went into the military. Much to his father and mother's chagrin and fear, it was a time for Vietnam. Vietnam was going on. Over the ensuing years, Tim and his dad, Henry, traded letters. And apparently they weren't all happy and friendly. And when Tim finally got out of the military, uh, he did some other things. But he wasn't very excited to get back involved in church. And Tim was just not your average guy. So he did a lot of things that didn't look like they should be on the menu for a pastor's son. But you know, the the Lord worked on him. And over time, Tim let the Lord work on him. And he had other problems in his life. He was divorced twice from the same woman. They just couldn't make it work. And these are things that are embarrassing, of course, to a Christian family. We know God hates divorce. But when there is repentance and when there is restoration, God will use the one who messed up. Two or three weeks ago, Tim got back from Israel. He'd taken a short trip there. You know what he was doing there? wandering around, passing out Christian tracts and just telling people the Lord Jesus loved them. They, uh, Tim got on a bus, a public bus, and felt like he should stand up and read Isaiah 53. 
to the whole bus. And he did, and they didn't like it. And he was with two other guys and their camera guy. I'm not sure why they had a camera guy with them, but he got pushed to the ground. Uh, Tim's not afraid to say, this is something you need to hear. And I'm so happy to be able to tell you. Tim has been doing this for decades. He found a guy who is a pilot, and that pilot gets free flights, and uh, the pilot pays for Tim to go with him all over the world. And they get on the ground, and they take out their suitcase full of Christian tracks, and they just start walking around. How many people have come to the Lord because of Tim's ministry? We have no idea. But God knows exactly. Yeah. Later on, child number three. This was back in the 80s. Child number three, Joy. She had to come home and tell mom and dad that she was with child. And the child's father, who had not yet married her, had physically abused her. The relationship ended, and she began living life as an unwed mother-to-be. We enjoy having fellowship with her son, Joel. Praise God. Joel wasn't uh, something to be abandoned, something to be gotten rid of. She brought Joel into the world. The Lord brought him in. I won't tell you about Joel. But as a single mother, she went ahead and finished a nursing degree, and then she became, she went down to Texas, was living there, I think it was Galveston, and she became a nurse in the prison system because that's where there were lots of desperate people who had time to listen. And she faithfully ministered to these prisoners. Not just physical healing, but spiritual healing as well. Later, she decided to use her meager funds and her vacation time, and she'd go on cruises. Which sounds like a great time to kick back and really have some fun, right? She didn't hang out with the other cruise people. She went down into the employee levels of the ship. And every time she'd go, she'd bring a big garbage bag full of nice clothes. So many of the workers on these ships are really from families who are desperately poor. I don't know what the number is, but it's scores of trips that she went on so she could minister the love of Christ. Even today, as Joy suffers with a rare neurological disease and can no longer walk or even stand up by herself, she keeps texting her sisters to bring her cookies and gospel tracts 
so she can give them out to the health care workers that are around her. Joy is not long for this world, but she's still serving her Redeemer, and it does us good to remember that we are to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. When we repent, we decide not to follow our own, our own plans and goals. We turn those over to the Lord. So here's my first challenge for you this morning. Have you been knocked out of the race? Have you failed and then just sat in your mess? Beating yourself over and over with the same stick of, I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty. Enough already. God knows you're guilty. He also knows that he forgave you. Stand up and get back to the work of being Jesus' servant. We were never promised to be treated fairly nor appreciated adequately. We've not been promised an easy path or a smooth road to speed our progress. Remember, Jesus said we would have trouble in this world and that we would be hated just the way he was hated. We all hope these burdens will be for others to bear, but so often that burden is on our shoulders. The world is not your master. Other people around you may act like they're your master. They're not. They're not your true master. I think Jesus would rather have a repentant screw-up than a brilliant talent who can't get out of the ditch of despair when the burden feels too heavy. Jesus said, my burden is light. Let go of your burdens. Take on my burden. It's light because he helps us bear it. Struggling brother or sister, you are really still loved by your creator. Love him back by rejoining the battle. He never took away your armor. Put it back on. Keep getting up and declaring what is true and taking another step forward. I guess there is more on this page. I guess I could end there, but there's some other good stuff, and I need to let you know what, what we're headed for. Before going to Egypt as a church planter, Mark was given the task of helping the Apostle Peter set down in writing all that he'd been preaching about, all that he'd been telling about Jesus. More than a mere biography, this account was setting the record straight. Jesus was, still is, the Son of God. More than that, he'd been given to the world to be the final sacrifice for sin. Let's be reminded of that again quickly. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. Mm -hmm. 
referring to God, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take sins away. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. It's funny how God never sits down until he's finished with something. Praise God. His resurrection from the dead provided the proof of his claim of being the Son of God, the only hope of salvation for every living soul. And he had said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, right? I know you've heard that before. Do we live like that's true? Almost 2,000 years later, he is still the only hope of salvation. No matter how the current population of his earth tries to synthesize false gods and twisted philosophies into one, one world religion, you'll be hearing more about it, not from me, from the world. This truth will still stand. The living word will prevail and we will prevail with him. What have we been promised among lots of other things? 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18, for the Lord himself, will, he's not sending somebody else. He's coming himself. He'll descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet, the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And he, we, who are alive and who are left, we won't be left long, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Amen. Why do we not talk about that more in the Church of America? It says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. When we remind each other, we should say, yes, thank you. We have a hope. As a fellowship of believers, holding steadfastly to the word of God, we will be ingesting part of the book of Mark each Sunday for the rest of this year. We're going to taste it. We're going to chew on it. We're going to swallow every bite because it's life to our soul. There is much to be learned and much to be remembered, reminded of. As a preaching team, which is a phrase we use for lack of a better one, if you have a better idea for that, we'd be happy to hear that. Knowing that most all of you have read the Gospel of Mark, we've been studying and debating how to present this book to you. We've been asking the Lord to lead us and give us understanding so that we can rightly and faithfully serve him as we serve you. We've decided that it would be best to focus on three aspects that we see being stressed in this gospel account. We'll be stressing what Jesus said. And then because it's 
full of so much of what Jesus did, we'll be stressing what he did. And then we're also going to stress the way he kept framing what he was doing in the context of the kingdom of God. We're hoping that as a family of believers, we'll take this trip through Mark's gospel together. We trust that when we emerge on the other side, we'll be inspired, re-inspired, to follow Jesus with our whole hearts, making us more useful to him for the advance of his kingdom on earth. So here are a few of the things that we'll be looking at. Thanks to the work of Pastor Preston, these are grouped into miracles, parables, and difficult passages. We'll see Jesus exercising authority over the unclean spirits that were in control of several different people he met. We'll see Jesus exercise authority over sickness, like when he healed Simon's mother-in-law and the woman who couldn't stop bleeding. We'll see Jesus exercise authority over physical maladies like, like restoring withered hand or restoring nerve function and muscle use for a paralytic, causing someone who had been blind his whole life to see for the first time. We'll see Jesus exercise his authority over his creation when he makes a lot of food out of a little food and satisfies crowds of thousands twice. Wow. We'll see Jesus exercise authority on behalf of a Gentile girl who was possessed by a demon. We'll see him exercise his authority over physics and the laws of nature when he walks on the water and commands the weather. Most importantly, we'll be reminded that Jesus is Lord even over death. Oh, death, where is thy sting? We'll be looking at lessons that Jesus taught through the parable of the sower and the parable of the seeds growing into plants near the road. There are lessons for us there. We'll think about the tiny little mustard seed again and we'll examine the parable of the tenants for its depiction of the kingdom of God. And finally, because we're bold and courageous, we'll try to bring some understanding to passages that are thought of as troublesome. Things like the silent ministry of the Messiah. It's a weird way to put it. Why did Jesus keep telling people not to say anything about what he had done for them? It's a head scratcher. What exactly is blaspheming the Holy Spirit? Peter wanted that included. Why did Jesus say that the parables were meant to confuse people? Even today, people that read scripture and read the gospel accounts and they get to the parables and they're like, what? What's the point of that? 
Why did Jesus' family not support him in his ministry? That must have been hard on Jesus. Remember, he's man as well as the Son of God. His resurrection changed that, of course. But we'll see how when people are calling him crazy, his family was coming to him saying, Jesus, we need to talk to you. Hmm. How should we engage with Jesus' teaching about the end times? We're not going to shrink back and not talk about it. How should we respond to his teachings about the kingdom of God? St. Mark was not one of the 12 apostles. I'd wondered if I should even refer to him as St. Mark. Because of some of this sainthood business has taken people places they shouldn't go. Who does the Lord say are the saints of this age? You are Saint Jill. And on and on and on. Praise God. He has made us holy. Not because of what we've done. We're not one of the twelve apostles either. We can be sure that Mark was a useful servant, loved by the believers, loved by the Lord, and faithful in his service to Jesus. To whatever degree we've been faithful, we can be sure that there is more for us to do. Have you been really fruitful? Yeah, praise God. Don't get comfortable. There's more for you to do. Have you experienced times of just sitting in your mess? There really is more for you to do. Unless the Lord calls us home tonight, the Lord through through his Holy Spirit will be using his servants, that's us, every day until he returns. It's still true that God is willing that none should perish. We don't know who will respond, and so we should be telling everyone no exceptions, even if it means people look at you funny, even if it means people go, oh, really, roll their eyes and call you an idiot, even if it means that people spit in your face. No exceptions. There's plenty for us to do. So this is my second challenge for you today, and I'll end with this. Are you content to sit on the bench and watch others who you think are better players as they contend for the faith? I'm not going to look up because somebody's going to think I'm looking at them. Have you thought of yourself as significant, unimportant, a B-team servant? You're not. Listen, out of the billions of people who've walked this earth, the Father identified only a few in every generation who would answer the call of his Holy Spirit 
And he's called us a holy people set aside for his service. You became part of his church. There is no B-grade church. There is no reserve list of Christians. You responded maybe a long time ago. And you became so intimately loved by Jesus that he calls you his body. You're part of his body. Along with your salvation, accept your status. You are a beloved servant of your creator. Most other people have rejected him. Kind of good to remember that sometimes. Most other people who have heard have said, nah, no thanks. You didn't. You embraced him. Let him be your reason to take another breath. Let him give you purpose for each day. Surrender your days and your plans and your skills and abilities to his sovereignty. Remember, he's in the details. All the little things, and they add up to a big thing sometimes. We get to participate. Ask him for eyes to see what the Father is doing. And like the little kid who wants to help his daddy, put your hand on the plow. Grab a handful of seed and scatter it. When you see what he wants you to do, trust him. Step into your corner of the field and be working when he comes back. How good it'll be for those he finds working, he said. Jesus said the fields are ripe under harvest, right? He really wants to be able to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Do you want to hear that? Keep going. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Oh, I don't want to do that. But yes, Lord. 